As we open our Bibles and attentive to the 92nd Psalm, it is with this theme of thanksgiving that I want to turn to this very familiar song that we sing each Lord's Day as we gather together. I'll begin reading and read the psalm in its entirety. Psalm 92, a psalm, a song for the Sabbath day. It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness every night on an instrument of ten strings, on a lute, and on a harp with harmonious sound. For you, Lord, have made me glad through your work. I will triumph in the work of your hands. O Lord, how great are your works. Your thoughts are very deep. A senseless man does not know, nor does a fool understand this. When the wicked spring up like grass, and when all the workers of iniquity flourish, it is that they may be destroyed forever. But you, Lord, are on high forevermore. For behold, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. But my horn you have exalted like a wild ox. I have been anointed with fresh oil. My eye also has seen my desire on my enemies. My ears hear of my desire on the wicked who rise up against me. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. Our Father, we ask that you would send your spirit to open our hearts to receive the good things of your word and to hear the voice of our Lord speaking among us into our hearts today. We pray that you would empower the the speaker with the fresh anointing of your spirit that as the word is preached, it would not be with power or by might, not by fleshy means, but by the spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. And so we ask that you would bring forth the fruit from our own lips, generated down into a heart that is changed, of praise and thanksgiving and glory to the one to whom it is due. So we pray that you would guide us now in this truth. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. This is a week that we particularly look back upon the year, and we give God thanks for what good things He has done. And God has done many things in this congregation and even in your individual lives and your families this particular year. There's much to be thankful for. Get an early start, because it will take you a long time this week, and not merely a day. But as we come into our time of weekly thanksgiving, be mindful and and rehearse the very things that God has done so that you can find the full satisfaction in His own work as you bring that to completion as you praise the Lord. So perhaps this week, you may consider integrating 
more singing of the thanks, as this psalm would suggest, and not merely just saying the thanks. As one of the reformers said, when I sing a psalm, I pray twice. So as we think about that, let's consider this psalm and many of the other psalms that even declare uh, what great things there are in singing God's thanksgiving. As the title will suggest, Psalm 92 is a psalm for the Sabbath day. It is a part of the liturgy of the Sabbath that the Jews then began in the time of exile in Babylon, and then they continued that right on through. When the Jews were in Babylon, they, did, they developed a liturgical tradition, and there the Babylonian god in Babylon would receive worship on each of the days of the week. So the Jews celebrated Jehovah's kingship on each of the day, as opposed to that which the Babylonians would do. Psalm 24 was a psalm that was used in the liturgy on the first day of the week, Sunday. Psalm 48 would be for Monday. Psalm 82 was for Tuesday. And Psalm 94 for Wednesday. Psalm 81 for Thursday. Psalm 93 for Friday. And Psalm 92 on the sixth day, or the seventh day, the Sabbath. I was thinking as I, I learned of this particular uh, post-exilic uh, liturgy that perhaps maybe we need to integrate Psalm 24 along with Psalm 92 into our Lord's Day on a regular basis. But as we notice, the first thing in this hymn of thanksgiving is the manner of praise. Perhaps we could even call this the medium. But notice the manner of praise. It says there, it is good. It is good to give thanks to the Lord. Notice the phrase, it is good. It means it is appropriate and it is pleasant. This word good is the same creation goodness. When God looked upon all of creation, He says, behold, it is very good. This goodness is the same goodness of Psalm 133. It is good that brethren dwell together in unity. And how blessed is that? This is the goodness of God's covenant blessing. And here the Hebrew puts an emphasis on the word good, followed by three particular verbs. Words of action, words of doing. And the first one is, it is good to give thanks. That's the first action word. And to realize our full, full humanness as image bearers made in the image of God, it only happens when we give thanks to our Creator. To experience the fullness of your humanness, we must give thanks to our Creator. We see that in such a contrast in Romans chapter 1, verse 21 and 22. Because when they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, neither were thankful. But became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. It is God that has created us, and not we ourselves, as another psalm would say. And that very act alone demands our thanksgiving. 
and to realize and experience our full humanity and the joy and the fullness that God has intended, we must be grateful to Him. And we must express that gratefulness with thanksgiving to God. And the psalmist here, inspired by the Spirit of God, says this is good. Well, the second verb here is to sing praise. It literally means to make music praise to God. And this is how we are made. God created every one of us to sing. I know some of you out there saying, I don't sing. I don't, I don't sing so good. I don't sing well. I wasn't raised singing. I, I'll, I'll let that be with the choir. Nope. God has given each one of us a musical instrument that we carry around with us all of the time. He has created us to sing. Psalm 43 says that God Himself has put a new song in our mouth. And we know that that which comes out of our mouth are from the heart. From from the heart the mouth speaks. Out of the heart are the issues of life. And as God has put a new song in our mouth, this is a song of grace. Where God has made us glad in His work. As our psalm would say in verse 4. There are other psalms, Psalm 33, Psalm 96, Psalm 98, Psalm 144, even in Revelation and the book of Isaiah, that speaks of singing from of this new song back to the Lord with thanksgiving and praise. That which God demands of us, He also does. See, this is Augustine's prayer. Lord, command that which thou wilt, but grant that which thou commandest. And so as he says, sing the new song to the Lord, it is he that put it in our heart, he that puts it in our mouth, and then we sing it back to him, the fullness of the enjoyment of our God in the true humanity in which he's made us. And from these principles, we can conclude that worship music is its own very particular genre set apart wholly from all other common genres of music in the world. There's nothing wrong with other genres of music. We would call that common. But when you set something apart and dedicate it to God, it's its own genre. That's why in Psalm 137, when the the Israelites were down in Babylon, and they were in exile, and the Babylonians say, hey, Jews, sing us some of those songs of Zion. Well, how can we? And there was a heaviness there. Because they were not in Jerusalem. They were not in the temple. They were not there for which, in the sphere which, which those songs were dedicated and given to. And so we see the very songs of Zion were dedicated to the worship of God and the praise of Jehovah in His sanctuary. They were a special kind of music. Part of the new song that God has put in our heart redemptively by His grace. Well, music has a vital role in our Christian lives. If doctrinal preaching and teaching the Word of God were the husband, worship music would be its wife. And the two are joined together and inseparable. Just read the Psalms. 
and you'll see what I'm talking about. If you've not been raised in the context of singing, and specifically singing God's praise, work to change that so that your children and your grandchildren can grow up differently in the context of singing God's praise. And the church can help if you need it. The third action word here, that it is good to give thanks, it is good to sing His praise. The third one, it is given in verse 2, it is good to declare truth about God, and particularly His loving kindness, His hesed, His covenant love, His infinite mercies. And verse 3 then reveals then how to do this with instruments of accompaniment. And here reveals a pattern, a pattern for our worship. As we shall see, that this is something that had been already established. It is something that was ongoing in the time of the psalmist. It is something that was integrated into the life of the New Testament Christian. It should be something that we follow this pattern. In verse 3, it says, on an instrument of ten strings, on a lute, oh, I'm backing up, verse 2, to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness every night. It's the morning and the evening. The morning and evening sacrifice here is a pattern for how we are to, to praise God. And it is the regularity, it is the rhythm that was already established. And as we consider the times of prayer that, that Daniel prayed, we, the times of prayer in which the New Testament Christians prayed, I think it behooves us to consider this frequency of the morning and the evening reference to those daily sacrifices. As a priest would prepare the morning and evening sacrifices, Levitical singers led by God's people with musical instruments in worship. And that becomes a pattern for us. We ought to get up in the morning and we ought to spend time with the Lord in prayer. Before we go to bed, we ought to take some time and spend with the Lord in prayer and praise. And we ought to open and close every day after the pattern that God has set for us. But we see here there's the manner in even doing this accompanied by musical instruments. See, there is both the text and the music that is fitting for the praise of God. Musical accompaniment is very fitting in making music for the praise of God and leading His people to praise Him with greater fullness, to sing out the text that is before us. And when David was chosen by God, he was out in the sheepfold and he was brought in and he was anointed the king. And it was not by accident that God chose a shepherd who was a musician to be Israel's king. And so it was when David had risen to a great place within the context of his reign, he appointed then Levitical liturgical choirs and musicians for Zion's worship. And the apex of Zion's worship was under David's rule. 
in those wonderful Levitical choirs that would lead God's people's praise. And that was not merely a man's whimsical desire, that was inspired by God as part of the very temple that would be built by His Son. And one of the greatest methods that God delights in our giving Him praise and thanksgiving is through music and song. Words put to music and sung to Him. There are some traditions today and denominations who even depreciate the use of musical instruments in the realm of worship. I believe they are sadly mistaken and do not understand the Scriptures here when the Scriptures themselves call for the very use of instruments to accompany and to be that which brings God glory. So the three things that are good and pleasant to be doing to, and that is appropriate is to give thanks to God, making music and praise to God, and declaring His loving kindness and faithfulness. And all of these things we are to do morning and evening. And all three of those actions are appropriate to be accompanied by musical instruments. So there is somewhat the manner of thanksgiving. But secondly, we see in this hymn of thanksgiving the content of the praise. Here's the message. Here is the message. And there's three things themes then that the psalmist includes in this hymn of thanksgiving the first theme we notice in verses four and five it's the psalmist's joy in god's works for you lord have made me glad through your work i will triumph in the work of your hands O lord how great are your works your thoughts are very deep god's works are revealed as triumphant as victorious even as though they have been accomplished in past tense, even when we're on the front part of that battle. God's works are revealed here as always triumphant. Back in Psalm 90, two psalms before, the psalmist reflects on the, on the transience and frailty of life. And many commentaries believe that Psalm 90, 91, and 92 kind of go together. And Psalm 90 reflects upon the transience of life. And Psalm 91 is a, is a psalm of wisdom. And then Psalm 92 we have reflects the triumphant work of God that indeed now has made the psalmist glad. And this word glad carries the idea of rejoicing, even of festive joy and, and feasting joy. The verb here is in, a, in, in the Hebrew, in a PL theme, which is causative. It causes gladness. So in other words, it is God that has caused the psalmist to be glad. This is the theme of grace. This is what God has done to make us glad. And that is worthy of praise and thanksgiving, even to the height of singing and making music to God with it all. The theme of grace. In these verses we see the psalmist's joy in God's works because God has caused us to be glad in His grace. Thanksgiving to God for His works in causing us to be glad. This gives us reason to rejoice 
even to the point of singing. When we think about this upcoming week and Thanksgiving Day, which many of you will celebrate Thursday, have a fresh sense of who God is and what great things He's done for you. It may take a little deliberate time on your knees in prayer. Just contemplating. Just looking back in quietness before God. This is a time when I think it's appropriate for you to ask God to, to show you the year in review that you would not be slack. And on your knees, then quietly just listen and just remember the things that God brings to your mind. Oh, yes. Oh, I'd forgotten about that, Lord. Oh, look at that. And just quietly before God, get a fresh sense of who He is. His sovereignty is, He's orchestrated in every little detail of providence in your life. Every disappointment that you came to and then He brings you through to a glorious conclusion. Every trial that He's gone led you through. Every dark valley that perhaps maybe you're still going through, but He's got something in store for you. And even in that dark valley, He walks with you in the valley of the shadow of death. He's there. Be engaged from the heart in your thanksgiving. Get a freshness. That new song, make it fresh and new to you as you spend time asking God to reveal the things that then you can openly rehearse in the midst of His people. And then understand the place and importance of making music. Making music with those instruments that He is giving you, with your voice and your lips and your singing. If you can talk, you can sing. Musical praise is the sound of triumph and victory. It is the highest expression of our praise and our thanksgiving to God that we can give Him as we reflect upon His person and what He has done. As you sing praise, perhaps you can think about it as praising twice. Then we come to a second theme in verses 6-9. through nine. A second theme is giving God thanks for the judgment of the ungodly. And not many hymn writers write this way. He says in verse 6, A senseless man does not know, nor does a fool understand this. When the wicked springs up like grass, when all the workers, workers of iniquity flourish... It is that they may be destroyed forever. But you, Yahweh, are on high forever. For behold, your enemies, O Yahweh, for behold, your enemies shall perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. Modern hymn writers would do well to pattern their hymns after the Psalms so we do not leave out important themes of even our thanksgiving. We don't often think about this particular topic and content in our worship as we sing thanksgiving to God. But you know, when John was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day in Revelation, what he saw 
And what he was joined up in was heavenly worship, even as the Lamb who sits upon the throne unleashes the seals and the trumpets are blowing. It is that which is heavenly worship. But if our psalms are going to be patterned for worship in our music and our hymn writing, this theme ought to be considered and integrated more readily in terms of our worship. He begins in verse 6, A senseless man does not know, nor does a fool understand. This comes right off of the, the heels of the causative verb that God has caused us to be glad in His works. And now it talks about the senseless man who does not know. In other words, if it were not for the grace of God, we would be the senseless person. We would be the fool. The psalmist gives us two responses to God's work in redemptive history. First of all, he describes the responses of the wicked. And secondly, there is the responses of the righteous. The wicked, he describes as senseless. This is expresses of an animal. It's animal-like behavior. Subhuman, if you will. It shows no perception of the work of God. The fool has no common grace sense. His world revolves around himself to such a degree he's insensitive to God and he lacks the discernment that is all around him. And as Psalm 32 would then bring this metaphor, do not be like the horse or like the mule, which has no understanding, which must be harnessed with a bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. I remember when I was a child, <clears throat> we're looking at this time of the season where there's a Christmas celebration downtown on the square, and I was a part of one of those celebrations one time in Georgia where I was growing up, and we, we had a, a parade, and the people went through links to go and make their, their floats for the, the small town parade. And there was competitions, and there was... Uh, winners, and it, it was something for a small town. I was very impressed, and especially so today as I look at what parades have become. But I was chosen to be a part of a, of a shepherd's scene on the announcement on the eve that the incarnation was announced and Jesus was born. And I was a shepherd boy and on the back of a float. And I was there with a sheep who was tied down so it would obey me, or at least it wouldn't run away. And I was dressed up, and I had a shepherd's staff in my hand. Perhaps a little foreshadow. <laughs> but I do remember us coming around, and we were on a, a, a float that was pulled by a mule. And at one point in the parade, the mule just decided to stop, and he didn't want to go. To the consternation and the frustration of the driver, the parade was leaving us behind and we were clogging up the rest of it. And there was this big gap because the mule wanted to do what the mule wanted to do. And that stubbornness, no matter how much the driver persuaded, he only got the mule going again when the mule just really wanted to go. Oh, he had the bride bit in the bridle in his mouth. He, he also got a little whip across his rear end. But, but he would not go until he wanted to go. And that's the stubbornness, that's the willfulness 
of an unthankful person who suppresses the truth of God and then exchanges the Creator for the creature and who does not worship God and he is not thankful. And it says, and when he increases his power and prestige, he's like grass. You know, grass is very fast growing. It grows very quickly. It also can wither in the heat of the sun very quickly as well. God's constant love and His common grace have no effect on the wicked like the grass. But their end is destruction. They will perish and start contrast to this transiency is God being exalted forever. He is king and he is ruler over all. And that's worth singing about, the psalmist says. How many of these psalms with these themes of God's punishment of the wicked and the ungodly have God's people been able to use throughout history? It has been part of the repertoire of God's people as they sing the psalms. They sing the psalms of God's punishment upon the wicked and the ungodly because ultimately those are God's enemies. The Scottish Covenanters sang the psalms at times of victory and at times when the enemy oppressed them. Psalm 68 was used by the French Huguenots for 300 years as they faced persecution. Psalm 118, notably the phrase, this is the day that the Lord has made, we will rejoice and be glad in it, has been a notable psalm in battle with God's people through the ages. And the most common refrain in all of the Psalter, O give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, and His mercies endure forever, has been reiterated on some of the greatest occasions in God's people when the ark was brought back from Jerusalem or into Jerusalem as David brings the ark back. When the temple is dedicated by Solomon, they sang this refrain. And at the greatest high points of all of Israel's history, that refrain, oh, thank the Lord for He is good and His mercy endures forever, was also sung at the greatest battle of Jeruel, when God's people had been encircled with such a great crowd of enemies, and they did not know what to do. And God says, be still and quiet. You do not have to fight this battle. But He led them down the pathway into the battlefront, and there then directed them to praise God. And this is the refrain they sang when God went to work to destroy all of their enemies without them having to unsheath the sword. See, singing the Psalms with praise and thanksgiving is one of the greatest weapons we have against our enemies, and it is so important for your own and my own sanctification. It seems counterintuitive. And to the senseless man, it's foolishness. But singing in worship to God is one of the ways to defeat our enemies. You keep singing downtown on the square. The Psalms of God. Next time you're depressed or you're discouraged or you're fearful or you're anxious or you're worried, sing praise to God. You don't have to wait for the Lord's Day to do that. 
You don't have to have a bunch of people gathered around for you to do that. You just have to know to sing the Psalms and get about singing the Psalms. All by your lonesome. Solo performance to the audience of God. And you've got the voice to do it because He's put it in your mouth. See, praising God in song displaces a complaining and grumbling spirit. Singing the Psalms combats all of the vices of the old man and it takes your spirit into a higher realm than the carnal mumbling that we're so prone to. When the new man in Christ sings the new song that God has put in our mouth, the old man is put to death. And he is really your greatest enemy. That old man. Our psalm sings play an important role in our corporate sanctification. Singing thanksgiving to God is one of the greatest weapons in God's arsenal to battle against His enemies and ours. And perhaps another dimension on the Psalm 22, verse 3, when it says, But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Perhaps another way or dimension of thinking about that is God is acting and moving as the great King in behalf of those who so enthrone Him. He's enthroned. In the praises of His people. But simply knowing a few hymns is not, is not enough repertoire for a Christian's warfare. We must know the Psalms. Sing Psalms unto Him. Sing Psalms unto Him. The Psalms themselves say. Ephesians tells us to sing Psalms, making melody in your heart to the Lord. Colossians, they sing Psalms to Him. It is a part of our Life of thanksgiving and praise to God. And we must be able to sing God's praise in the way that He has patterned at times when we don't have the text in front of us. That's why I believe it's so important that week after week after week, all of you can sing Psalm 92 without looking down. Oh, I know that we do, but you could do it without it. So you've got Psalm 92. Get others in your repertoire. You've got Psalm 133. You've got that one. You don't have to look down. You've got it in your heart. And when we sing thanksgiving to God for His works among the wicked, we remind ourselves of their end and who really is on the throne. The third theme of this psalm of thanksgiving is found in verses 10 through 14, as the psalmist sings about the prosperity of the righteous. He does this in two stanzas. First, a personal aspect, and then second of all, a universal aspect. From the personal perspective in verse 10, but my horn you have exalted like a wild ox. I have been anointed with fresh oil. My eye also has seen my desire on my enemies. My ears hear my desire on the wicked who rise up against me. That's very personal. You can own that yourself. You can put your name in front of that and, and declare this before God very personally. You notice the personal pronouns here. This is making thanksgiving personal to the psalmist and when you own it, to you. 
He acknowledges that God has empowered him. And the wild ox occurs in in poetry context to denote metaphorically the power and the ferocity of this animal. But the horn also can symbolize power. And it evokes the image of oil being poured out from the horn upon the head. The fresh oil here is the fresh anointing of the Spirit of God. Empowering us to live victoriously in praise. And all of this is something that God has done to the psalmist. See, this is grace. After God has done His work on the psalmist, now He sees and He hears and He witnesses God's justice. This is our great longing to witness to the complete and final cessation of all evil in this world and for the righteous to be vindicated. As you go through the psalmist, as you go through the psalms, perhaps you're doing the morning and evening psalms with others, notice the reference of justice as it relates to the righteous. The righteous long for it. They delight in it. It's something very positive that the righteous... Uh, yearn for, they pray for. Justice and God's judgment are very, very positive terms for God's people. They're not negative. But it's exactly the opposite for the wicked. See, God's justice is coming down and making everything that's wrong here just right. He's making it right. He's settling it all. It's very positive. This is what we long for. But second of all, he turns now to the universal truth for all of God's people in verses 12 through 14. You've made it personal. Now notice the universality of the truth. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree and shall grow up like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. Both trees here that is spoken of, the palm tree and the cedar of Lebanon, are known for their strength, longevity, and desirability. We see palm trees, and when we see these, we think of oasis in the desert. We think of water and life and sustenance and fruit, blessings. When we think of cedars, and particularly the cedars of Lebanon, we think of strength and structure and building. Both of these are quite in contrast to the wicked who are depicted as grass. These trees are planted in the house of the Lord. They are rooted. And how important it is to be rooted in the church. It's important for your children to be rooted in the church. To have their identity in the church. Which is inseparable to Christ. Yes, we are to be rooted in Christ within the context of the church. This is the house of God. They'll be flourishing and bearing fruit in the courts of God. Even in their old age, they will. And these Phrases depict the closeness of believers with God. And even in old age, they'll bring forth much fruit and prosperity. And there's a purpose in that. See, 
It says, so that they will declare that the Lord is upright. Every, every Sabbath evening at 6 o'clock, we have a family uh, Sabbath meal with a liturgy in it. And part of the liturgy is the blessings of our parents. And part of the bless, blessing of the parents is that they may flourish in their old age. And the flourishing in their old age is, verse 15, to declare that the Lord is upright to the younger generation. And they have a witness and they have a responsibility to declare that Yahweh will not let you down, children. He is upright and He is faithful. He is our rock. There is no unrighteousness in Him so that, that will engender the faith of the children. And so we pray for them to flourish in this manner for that end to the glory of God. And we see third of all in this whole psalm, the glory of God is its purpose in there in verse 15. This is the verse that pulls it all together, that shows us the telos of the praise. It's the hymn of thanksgiving. It's declarative. It is sung. It is used with musical instruments. We declare what great things God has done, and we declare who He is in His own hesed, His loving kindness and covenant faithfulness. It testifies truths about God but the truths that the worshiper himself has personally experienced. God is our rock. He is our stability. He is our strength. He is our foundation. He does not disappoint. And unlike man, there is no unrighteousness in him. As we enter into this week of thanksgiving, let us consider recovering the lost activity of singing God's thanks and singing His praise. Singing thanks to God is the highest form of expression because it not only affects the mind, but it affects the heart in ways that I believe are mystical and we don't quite comprehend. Let us consider from where we have come, no longer the thankless and senseless fool, as Romans would say, but a humble worshiper who makes music to God. If you only sing God's praise when you come here for worship, you don't understand completely the role of God's praise and music in your life as a Christian. Much of the psalmist's singing was not corporate praise, but private. It includes both, but it's not exclusively corporate. If you listen to other genres of music exclusively throughout your week, and it is only here at church that you're exposed to God's music, your perspective will be warped and distorted. Your worldview will be shaped accordingly. You can cultivate even a taste away from the very music that God commends. You must develop and cultivate the delight of the new song that God has placed in the heart of all of His people so that you can sing it with gladness and delight and joy. Do not let another Babylonian captivity for God's people to cause you to yearn for the songs of Zion. May it be heard daily from our lips. May it be sincerely rooted in our hearts.
The worship music of the church is vitally important to her triumph and to her victories, and it should never be marginalized. Men have said, if we are going to see a modern-day reformation in the church, it must be in the recovery of the singing of the Psalms, and apart from which, we will not see a modern-day reformation of the church. Because it is there which we are called to give God praise and thanksgiving through song and through music by reflecting upon who He is. And there must be more focus on this theme of thanking God and praising Him, even in music. Musical thanksgiving will drive away the enemies of doubt and complaint and pride and arrogance and self-reliance. People who are overly critical of others do not sing God's praise enough. It will remind us of who God is, the end of the wicked, and the prosperity of the righteous. It will drive away the enemy of the old man, like when David played music for Saul. It will bring fear into the hearts of your enemies, like it has done on many battlefields in God's people's history. It will win people to Christ as Paul and Silas did in their imprisonment in Philippi. It will take away the negative and replace it with redemptive good. It is good. It is good to give thanks unto the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High. Our gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for the gift of music and calling us to sing your praise and give you thanks. We thank you with full hearts of joy and singing because of the grace that you have given into our lives, because of that new song you have put in our heart and in our mouths. For praise is right. It is good and comely for the righteous. Restore our delight in singing your praise. And grant us to learn and to grow in this area. As we come around your table now, may we reflect upon the great things your grace has done for us in inviting us to such a high table and to such a high feast with our great God and Creator. We thank you that you will vindicate the righteous. You will judge the wicked. That you will bring forth praises from our lips for the rest of eternity. And may we rejoice and delight and this, this week particularly, as we give you thanks for all the good things you've done in our lives this past year. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.